0: Complete darkness is something no one can accurately describe. I sat on the cold concrete ground surrounded by utter darkness, a blackness so deep I couldn't even see my hands as I lifted them in front of me. The air was thin and stale, causing short inhales followed by longer, shaky exhales. My back was pressed against an equally cold concrete wall as I peered strongly into the darkness, attempting to force my eyes to adjust in this place, devoid of even the smallest light. Breathing sounds emanated from the seemingly eternal blackness in front of me. These were not my breaths. Hello? A light male voice emitted from the dark. The soft whimper was clear in this completely silent place. My sense of hearing was the only sense I could trust. His confused and frightened plea got my attention quickly as I turned my head toward the source. I opened my mouth to speak, but another sound in the opposite direction caught my attention. Hey, where are you? Who are you? A deeper voice broke through the stale air. I remained quiet. Please don't hurt me, man, the softer voice pleaded. I don't know what's going on. I'm not going to hurt you. I don't know why I'm here, the deep voice offered in a lower tone. Several seconds of silence filled the air as the echo from his voice slowly faded. I moved to speak yet again, but I was once again interrupted. You guys, what's happening? I don't know what it is either. I went to bed and woke up here. I I don't remember anything. Another disembodied voice started directly in front of me. I had to say something to make them aware of my presence. Hey, uh, me too. I have no memory after going to sleep. I just woke up here, cold and dark. Who are you people? I said hurriedly, trying to get my new words in before someone else spoke. Tell me who you are first. The deeper voice snapped back. I was thrown off by his sudden anger, but understood it. The voice on the other side of the room spoke up first. My, my name is Evan. I'm, I'm scared, man. We need to find a door or something the jittery voice said, clearly becoming more and more terrified as his words progressed. David, the voice directly in front of me stated. There were several more seconds of quietness as the complete silence allowed an audible heartbeat from my chest. I'm Luke, but we're not getting anywhere getting to know each other. Let's try and get the hell out of... His commands were interrupted by a loud buzzing sound filling the entirety of the room. A dim, red glimmer appeared in the darkness. The small amount of light provided a reddish hue lighting up one section of the room. I slowly began to sit up I was interrupted by the sight of a silhouette hand reaching for the light. What the hell is this? Luke's voice whispered in a much lower, still, deep voice. A figure began to appear on the other side of the light. I don't know, but this might be the way out, David said with a confident tone. I moved toward them to join in on the discussion. The room was still eerily dark as I could not make out my fellow captives other than darkened shadows. The red light was somewhat beckoning as I slowly moved towards it. It didn't take long for the four of us to arrive at the light source. It's a power box, David said as soon as I arrived. We need to find what it's powering. That's a start, at least. Hey, guys, look. Evan said as he ripped a small piece of paper off the side of the box. Evan took a few seconds to review what the small paper had to offer. His eyebrows furrowed in the red hue as he slowly looked up. He slowly handed the paper to David, who began reading it aloud. On two days complete, you'll have reached a great feat. Your freedom, you'll meet. David read it with a whisper, slowly lowering the notes as he read. A tearing sound was heard next to me. Guys, there's another one on this side too, Luke said while angling the freshly torn note under the little light there was. To leave forever, couples must work together, for we are more clever, Luke said in a straightforward and flat tone. As Luke let out an exhale through his nose, a shadow appeared to wave underneath the box, another piece of paper. This time I moved to grab it. The red light washed the newly found slip of paper in an almost blood-red light, and I began reading. Your stalkers will watch as we count down with each notch. Death pairs with each botch, I said, attempting to say it like the poem it was meant to be. Damn it, what the hell is that supposed to mean? Is this some deranged fanboy of horror movies trying to get his rocks off by scaring us? Heaven shouted as we all straightened up from his sudden outburst, Shut the hell up, man, Luke growled in his intimidating deep voice. Even though we were all bathed in shadow, I could feel the two glaring at each other. The standoff didn't last long, however. Another loud buzzing sound was heard. Directly behind Luke, a rectangular light began to appear. A door was opening. This was our way out. We moved toward the door as a white light filled the room. The confines of this room that we'd been in appeared before us. The tiny dark room was beginning to fill with an almost welcoming light. As we approached the door, sobbing was heard from behind us. The four of us stopped in our tracks and slowly turned our frames to look behind us. As the light began traveling across the walls, a huddled body began to light up in the corner. Tears covered his cheeks as the young man in front of us held his knees to his chest. David immediately pivoted to approach the frightened man. Hey, who are you? Why didn't you tell us you were here? David said in a soft voice as to not frighten this poor person who was clearly terrified. I... I'm so scared. I don't know who any of you are, where I am, or what What I'm doing here, he said with heavy sobs in between each word. We're going to get out of here, buddy, David replied, trying to offer as much support as he could. David reached out his hand. The young man whom we discovered later was named Taylor quickly grasped David's hand as he pulled him up to his feet. After a quick motivating pat on the shoulder, David led him from the corner and we moved to finally make our exit. We stood in a quiet gaze as we absorbed our surroundings. What appeared to be an industrial warehouse greeted us with old, unkempt shelves and machinery littering the large room. As we walked toward the middle, a single dark hallway led out of the room. Several open rooms that appeared to be darker than the already darkened hallway could be seen down the hall. The five of us looked at each other in confusion, hoping at least one of us would say something about our current situation. "'Let's split up,' Luke said, breaking the silence. We all glared back at him for his terrible idea. His sideways grin showed us he was kidding. "'Yeah, we can do more damage that way,' Nevin said with a chuckle. Taylor even let out a giggle as we all quickly picked up on the movie he was referencing. Our short burst of humor was short-lived, however, as we began focusing yet again on our current problem. As we browsed the decrepit machinery and tools, a loud crashing sound echoed through the hallway. It was very distant, but loud. The five of us quickly gathered at the entrance of the hallway to investigate the noise. Hey, um, guys, Taylor whispered behind us. Almost simultaneously, we all looked back at Taylor to observe him pointing to the corner of the room. Another red light appeared, yet smaller. As we approached the mysterious light, we found out quickly what it was. A security camera was aimed towards the middle of the room. A quick glance around showed several more cameras. What the hell? David said with his mouth dropped. Dude, are these the stalkers that Note mentioned? They're freaking watching us, man, Heaven said with his voice raised with each word. Well, let's change that, David said with authority. Let's get the hell out of here. David began walking toward the hallway to move down, and we followed suit. As we walked, the shadows from the dim lights created an almost web-like sight from the protective cages the bulbs were housed in aimlessly we wandered as we passed room after room that seemed to be filled with the same industrial machinery and equipment. This place was larger than we first gave it credit for. A dead end. We'd reached the end of the hallway with no way out. A small note was posted in the middle of the wall. We all stared at each other blankly as we knew what this was. It took a few seconds for one of us to build up the courage to grab the note. To all of our surprise, that person was Taylor. Taking the note off the wall, he began slowly turning to us as he read it. In the room of steam, the doorway lies, but do not scream. Soon you'll meet your team. What does that mean? Luke snorted. Dude, this is obviously some kind of industrial plant. There has to be a boiler room or a steam room or something like that. Look, it said the room of steam... We have to find this room, it's our only clue, David said, trying to show a bit of authority. Luke raised his eyebrows and held his hand toward the hallway as if to sarcastically say, lead the way, boss. We checked four rooms before we finally found it. Two large boilers were on each side of us and a pincer. Directly in front of them were dirty, powered-down turbines. A large shutter door was in front of us, and the first sign of hope since leaving that tiny dark room. A familiar sight met us, as to the right of the door was a power box, identical to the one we saw earlier, only the red light was off. We approached the power box to figure out a way to feed it power and get the hell out of here. It's got to be one of these, Luke said confidently pointing to the two levers next to the box, one crudely painted green and one painted red. Hold up, hold up, I said quickly as I pulled you another note from the side of the box. Right where this note lies, you'll be in for a surprise. Green brings you allies. I read, attempting that same poetic tone. What allies? Taylor said from behind David's back. I don't know, man, David replied, shrugging his shoulders. It's another stupid riddle like that steam room crap, Luke yelled. It's obvious we have to pull the green lever to get out. Whoever thought this crap up must think they built a little escape room and watch us as we figure out the stupid little poems. Luke motioned his head toward the corner of the room and waved to a camera. Luke looked at me as if holding the note gave me the authority to decide. I mean, yeah, pull the green lever, I said, rolling my eyes. With a smirk, Luke pulled the green lever. A loud clunk was heard behind the wall, followed by the sounds of machinery. Luke looked toward me with a proud smile. Slowly, his smile began to fall as the machinery continued its loud clunks and squeals. He began uttering low, croaky groans as he began to look down. We all did the same. Evan screamed as we saw a long metal post had shot through Luke's midsection. Luke and I made eye contact as we slowly lifted our heads back up. Slowly, his face became blank as he slumped down, hanging from the post that was jutting out of the wall. Help him! Help him! Evan commanded in terror. It had penetrated deep into his midsection as it took all four of us to slowly pull him from the post we gently laid him on the ground and began yelling his name to attempt to keep him awake. It was too late. He was dead. I looked back at the post, which was sloppily carved into a point. Taylor's newfound confidence seemed to vanish as I heard him begin to cry behind me. In rage, David grabbed the note from my hand and glared at the scribbled writing. Oh my god he said softly. We didn't solve the riddle. What do you mean? Evan asked. The note says right where this note lies. The note lied to us, David stated with his authoritative tone now gone. I grabbed the note out of David's hands and crumpled it, throwing it to the ground. I hastily stood up with an angry pull and I pulled the red lever. More clunks and squeals emanated from the wall again. David moved to grab me to move him out of harm's way. I confidently put one finger up, telling him to wait. Evan let out a sigh of relief as David hurriedly ducked under the door, not waiting for it to fully open. No, dude, no, Evan cried in defeat. Another shutter door. We were now in a small room with another door in front of us. We looked around. No power boxes. No notes. Guys, hey, guys! Taylor yelled as he pressed his ear against the closed door. I hear voices! We all copied Taylor's posture as we pressed our ear against the cold, dirty door. He was right. Voices were heard from the other side. They were all female and seemed to be arguing with each other. The words were indiscernible, but we could clearly hear they were frightened by their tones. Hey, whoever out there, open the door, Evan commanded. A high-pitched scream was heard on the other side while Evan made his orders. Who's that? A feminine voice yelled from the other side. We're trapped in here. Help us, please. Evan continued his frantic cries for help. Um, hold on. Give us a second. The same female voice yelled in a way that we could tell she was cupping her mouth to the door so we could hear her better. Several minutes passed with more arguing heard from the other side. More machinery noises emitted from the wall next to the door. Very familiar noises. I looked at David, who had his hand over his mouth, not knowing what was about to happen. Slowly the shutter began to rise. As the door opened, five women began to appear, and among them was Jen, my wife. In an almost romance-novel type of way, we leapt towards each other and hugged each other tightly. Oh my gosh, she yelled into my shoulder. What is going on? I I I don't know, I said softly, but we're going to get out of here. Now. It was then I turned to look at the others. The other guys I'd been trying to escape with were embraced in a similar fashion with one of the other women. We all seemed to notice the scene at the same time. They're taking couples, David said. Whoever's doing this took... David stopped his explanation and was peered toward the shutter door us guys had come from. One of the women, the oldest of the bunch, was standing over Luke's body, hands over her mouth. David walked towards her and put his hand on her shoulder. He knew who the lady was. Don't touch me, she yelled as she jerked and began backing up. What did you do to him? She yelled, pointing at David. Well, I I didn't do anything. Whoever's doing this set up a damn riddle to solve. We chose wrong and something came out of the wall stabbing him. David retorted, putting both his hands up. The woman fell to the ground, crying. He was... He was my husband. Luke. No, Luke. She continued, cupping her face to hide the tears. David knelt down next to her, once again putting his hand on her shoulder. I'm very, very, very sorry for your loss. I believe we're all in the same danger, though. Will you help us escape? He said as gently as he could. It was obvious who was going to lead us out of this. From there on, we followed David as he was the only one with a clear mind to take control. A loud buzzing noise was heard again, paired with both of the open shutter doors falling closed with a loud slam. Several of us screamed at the startling event. We were stuck. Again. Or at least we briefly thought. Scraping noises began to fill the tiny room from one section of the wall. The wall was moving. It was a false door and showed itself as soon as it cleared. It was a regular door. The reason I say regular is because it wasn't a shutter door, not some industrial strength door with an electric box. It was a simple door with a doorknob. One of the women began walking angrily to the door. Kaylee! Another woman shouted, holding her hand out. Kaylee opened the door, peeked in, turned her head to us, and beckoned us to follow. We did. We stood in awe as we now entered a large surgical room. No doors, no hallways, nothing but what seemed like metal walls surrounded us. Several more cameras hung on the walls, making sure to catch every move we make. A small table sat in the middle of the room with a light beaming down on it, as if to show us something. That something was another note in the middle of the table. Jen darted toward the table as I hastily followed her. Snatching the note quickly, she began reading. Footprints line the wall. Ghost stand turning to watch all face who made you fall. These riddles are getting so old, Kaylee groaned as she slumped her shoulders. Wait, you were given riddles too? Taylor asked with a confused look. Yeah, we had to solve some weird code disguised in an annoying math problem to open that door we found you at, one of the other girls said. Hey, everyone, look, Evan shouted from across the room. He pointed towards the ground. A pair of crudely painted footprints had been painted on the ground directly in front of the wall. A quick look around the room showed many more lining the walls. Footprints line the wall, David said. Ghost stand turning to watch all. They want us to stand on the footprints, obviously. What about that last part? A face who made you fall? Kaylee asked with a worried scowl. Fall, fall, fall in love, David yelled, lifting his head from the note. We're couples. They want us to directly face the one that made us fall in love. Right? That's gotta be right. Sounds good to me, Jin interjected as she slapped the paper back on the table. we stood facing each other with our backs against the wall desperately making sure our feet were lined up perfectly with the terrible attempt at a footprint I panned the room watching each person make eye contact with their significant other a sad sight was seen as the older lady stared back at a blank wall on the other side of the room where Luke should have been I looked up at Jen, whose eyes met mine. She gave me a heartwarming smile. That smile dropped quickly as more machinery began to work in the walls. We'd solved the riddle. I looked at Jen, who was shaking her head. The ground began moving underneath me as the floor began lifting up. I felt a sense of weightlessness as the wall behind me opened up. Another false wall. I tried to steady myself as the floor pushed me into the now open wall. I rolled on my back, landing with a thud. I looked up as the false door reclosed itself. A quick glimpse around showed metal passageways that split off in several different directions. It was clearly built with less than sturdy material than the previous rooms. Metal and aluminum walls led me in several directions as I began walking, picking my turns at random. This was a maze someone had crudely built, and we were all stuck in it. I screamed in shock as I turned the corner, bumping into someone who fell on their butt from the impact. Damn you, Kaylee said from her now sitting position. Come on, get up. We need to go find the others, I said, offering my hand. I held her up and we began walking. A short time later, that same familiar sight greeted us down one particular passageway. An electric box with a red light on it was next to a door. A note hung from the box. Kaylee let out a sigh and ripped the note from the box. The hungry mouth hides. Circles have this many sides. Choose wrong, and it slides. It's like one of those stupid kitty jokes, Kelsey yelped, frustrated. Yeah, but do you know the answer? I asked. No, but he told us to choose. How do we... She paused, looking above the door. Five chains hung about the door. All five chains had a hook attached to the bottom. Closer inspection showed each hook had a number on it. Zero, one, two, three, and four were painted on each hook with that same red and green paint alternating with each number. Okay, then... "'Here's your answer,' I said mockingly. "'Well, there's only one answer, right? "'I mean, a circle has no sides,' she said with a bit of fright in her voice "'at the realization we had to choose soon. "'It definitely has no sides, but those riddles have tricked us before "'in the way it's worded,' I replied, rubbing my hand through my hair, "'pondering what to do. "'You're right. It definitely isn't zero. "'You know what? It's one.' She said, pointing her finger up. How do you know that? I said, raising my eyebrow. It doesn't have any corners, like a square. Therefore, it only has one side, she said, once again, confident in her statement. That actually makes sense, I said, attempting a smile. Kaylee grasped her hand around the hook labeled one. She gazed toward me and let in a heavy inhale as she pulled the chain. It was as if she disappeared right before my eyes as she dropped. Screams of pain were heard as I looked down. A trap door had slid open underneath her. She dropped into a small pit at the bottom. Where there was a steel grinder. I watched as the blunt metal teeth of the grinder slowly ate Kaylee as she was seemingly devoured by the giant machine. This maze claimed another victim. The door slowly slid shut. I placed my hand on my forehead as I thought of the answer. It was indeed a riddle I'd heard as a child. How many sides does the circle have? Two. The outside and the inside. I grabbed the chain labeled two. I pulled in. Another buzz was heard, followed by a click. The door opened slightly. I pushed the door open and walked through. More of this metal and aluminum maze continued as I took turn after turn. More and more of those security cameras littered the walls, watching my every movement. A shadowy figure appeared at the end of the corridor. Hey! I yelled. The figure moved toward me. It was Taylor. I could tell he'd been crying as his cheeks were puffed up and his eyes red. You all right, man? I asked. Yeah. I'm just scared, he said quietly. There can't be too many doors left. I just solved a riddle on one that led me here. Let's find another one, I said, not wanting to mention what had just happened to Kaylee. He nodded his head and we proceeded. After several minutes of walking through more and more corridors, taking more and more random turns, we found another large shutter door. This has to be it, dude, Taylor said with a whimper. A big shutter door let us in here. It has to lead us out, right? I guess, man, I don't know, I replied as I studied the door. Again, a note was stuck to a powered-down box. Taylor walked toward it and excitedly grabbed the note. Two rooms left and right. The one with B's is quite right. Choose wrong. You're squeezed tight. We looked on either end of the room. Two smaller rooms were indeed left and right of us. We approached the one on the left and attempted to peer into the wall. We looked on the other end of the room. Two smaller rooms were indeed left and right of us. We approached the one on the left and attempted to peer into the small window. We were only able to see through standing on our toes. It was empty. Wait, I hear something, Taylor whispered as he pressed his ear against the door. He looked up at me with a look of confusion. I hear buzzing noises like flies or... He stopped momentarily to make eye contact with me. Bees. He continued with a frown. But the note said the one with the bees is quite right. That has to be it, I said yet again, attempting to keep command. No, man. It says if you choose wrong, you'll be squeezed tight. I'm allergic to bee stings. I once got stung and my face puffed up to where I couldn't see. That must be what it meant, right? He answered, picking up speed as the sentence moved on. I lifted my hands up on either side in confusion. We looked toward the other room and tried to peer into a similar small window. Since I was the taller of the two, I gazed in. Another empty room, except the wall was littered with red and green paint. All letter B's. I smiled and looked down at Taylor. The letter B. The walls are covered with it, I said, shaking my head. Seriously? He said as he looked up at the camera, watching us solve another riddle. The room had a sliding door. Tyler opened it and walked in. I blinked in a startle as the door slammed shut as soon as he entered. I tried to open the door again, yelling Tyler's name. I could hear him inside, but I couldn't tell what he was yelling. I once again ran back to the window to peek in. Tyler was panicking as we both seemed to hear more mechanical noises start up. Tyler's panic turned to utter shock as we both witnessed the metal walls closing in on him. This was a compressor, and it was activated. I watched as the third victim succumbed to this cursed maze. Taylor was crushed in the compressor. I walked toward the other small room. I opened the sliding door to hear the sound of louder buzzing. No bees. I looked toward the ceiling, another security camera with a speaker. There were four speakers on each side of the room making the buzzing sounds. Almost as soon as I answered, the buzzing stopped. The sliding door closed behind me as I heard the mechanical noises start up yet again. I quickly ran to the door and opened. I darted out of the room to see the shutter door slowly opening. I ducked underneath and was met by... Another shutter door. Not all was as it seemed, though. While I looked to another door to my left was a chain-link fence with a gate door. I was free of this maze. The night sky was a warming sight as I gazed at the stars. More mechanical noises were heard. I looked down as I realized the second shutter door was opening. Did more people make it? As the door slowly opened, I recognized those shoes immediately. They were Jen's shoes. I smiled in delight as she walked from the building. It was then I looked down to see Jen dragging the body of Evan. A serrated knife clutched in her other hand. She smiled at me menacingly. He solved the last puzzle. I kind of just... reacted. I couldn't let him get away, she said coldly. I stared into her cold eyes. She was delighted in her actions. She continued. I got five of them. That older lady almost called me and asked if I was trying to get her killed by answering wrong. I mean, I was, but she fell back in line after a few quick misdirections. I was more clever, she said with a huge grin. My thoughts went back to that first poem where the stalkers said they were more clever. They were indeed. Damn you, damn you, I yelled in frustration. I only got three. One was stabbed in the gut, one fed to the grinder, and one smashed in the compressor. I looked up at the camera, pointing at us with that red light. Five to three. I'll beat her next time, I said to the camera with a grin. My hands were wet and clammy as I looked through the binoculars, field glasses, my mother used to call them, making the subtly curved view of my house jump and shift as I tried to hold on. It was inside with them, watching TV in the living room. I could only see their silhouettes through the sheer curtain Amy had hung up years before, but I'd been watching for half an hour, long enough to see the thing passing by an open window. Long enough to know it looked just like me. I kept waiting for some reaction from my family. For Amy to recoil in horror or Julie to run screaming through the house as she realized that something had replaced her daddy. There was no sign of disturbance or discord, fear or worry. The shadow family I saw through the flickering lights of the TV looked normal, if far from whole. And I needed to remember that, didn't I? Why I was doing this. Why I was taking the risk and putting my family in harm's way. Not that I wasn't watching for signs of danger from it, too. Sure, it was supposedly safe, but how did I know that for sure? My stomach twisted in knots at the idea of it hurting them. Even the thought of it being in our house and near my family made my skin crawl. But there was no sign of it doing anything other than playing the role of, well, me. And if all went as she'd said, it'd be over by morning. But was it worth it? It had seemed like it at the time. And in my heart, it still did. But did that justify putting what was left of my family at risk? Letting this creature I couldn't trust and didn't understand into my home. And then, just then, I saw a new silhouette. My heart and breath froze, terrified at the slightest beat or sigh I might shatter such a delicate moment of miracle. I knew that shadow the curve of its head and the slight slump of its small shoulders. It was him. Bobby was back with us, watching TV with the family. I shuddered in the dark, watching and weeping as the shadow shifted into the dancing light. She'd been right. It worked. And whatever my fears or misgivings, when the sun rose the second time, I'd go back to my family and find it whole all thanks to my aunt and the strange creature she'd help call to our door. It's called the Jackdaw, and Bethany quirked an eyebrow at me, or that's what I've always been told. I've tried finding out more about it, but all I've learned is that it shares its name with a little bird. Crow's cousin, I think. She puffed out a breath. What I know is from my father and his father before him, going back a few hundred years to when our ancestors first found a way to call it in the first place. I felt angry confusion. The fuck is she talking about? Some weird voodoo bullshit? I'd been irritated when she suddenly showed up uninvited and wanted to chat, but if she was going to talk this crazy shit, she needed to go before Amy and Julie got home. We were all stretched tight and threadbare, as it was. We didn't need a crazy aunt on top of everything else. I was about to say a nicer version of what I was thinking when she held up her hand. You think I'm crazy? I understand completely. It's part of the reason I've held off all these months. That, and despite what I know it can do, I believe that most times it's best to leave well enough alone. Death is just a part of life. We all lose people and things we care about, and whilst it hurts terribly, it's the natural order of things. She shook her head slightly as she stared off. I'm not saying the jackdaw is unnatural. I don't know enough to say. All I know is that it works. That it can get back your Bobby. I did stand up now, anger burning through any thought of politeness or concern. What the fuck? You fucking... Get out. Beth, get out now. I don't need this shit. She kept her seat staring up at me with sad eyes. I know that anger. That hurt. But I'm telling you the truth. And I've watched you and your family slowly dying this last year. Tearing itself apart over something it can't or won't get over. That's why I'm here. I'm begging you to listen to me before you decide. My mouth went slack. What she was saying was insane, but I'd felt myself wandering deeper and deeper into strange thoughts and desperate dreams in the past few months. Crazy as she was, she wasn't wrong. I could see my marriage, my entire family, slowly rotting away. We'd lost a limb, but not cleanly, and the infection was setting in. Was I really in the position to refuse any offer of help or hope? I sat back down and she began again. My Jack? He died two years ago after we married in an automobile accident. He wasn't buried a week before I had him back. My daddy had told me about the Jackdaw the night of our wedding, had given me a calling stone and the clutch, and told me what to do if I ever needed it. Told me it would only work once for me, so I had to make it count. And I did. Her eyes began to glimmer as she wiped out a stray tear. I had him for another 40 years thanks to what I did. What it did. She looked off for a moment before finding my eyes again. (laughs) And those were good years. This isn't some horror tale where you get a living corpse or some evil thing masquerading as the person you lost. I don't know how it does it, but I know it doesn't bring them back makes them so they never died at all Her gaze was steady and penetrating as she let that sink in when i brought jack back i was the only one who remembered he died in that wreck i went to the graveyard and his grave was gone it somehow the way my daddy explained it was that sometimes a person's thread gets cut too early too early for those that love them at least and the jackdaw can set that thread back to whole. She reached out and gripped my hand. It can give you your bobby back. A few moments before, I would have recoiled at that touch, but now I found myself clutching her hand tightly, almost painfully. My voice shook as I forced out a question that was against any common sense or better judgment. I felt a little shame in the asking, but only a little. The world had drained most of my common sense and judgment in the last year, leaving me with only deep reservoirs of pain and guilt and doubt. And perhaps, insane as it was, some small amount of desperate hope. How does it work? Bethany smiled at me, but her eyes were still serious. There's a stone. I have it, and it has a place to put your hand. The impression is strange. Four fingers instead of five, and terribly long, but your hand will still fit. You just prick your palm, just a drop will do. put your hand on the impression. Hold it there while thinking about the person you've lost. This has to be done at sunset. The following day at the next sunset, the jackdaw will come. They will look and act like you. Take your place until the sun rises two days later. Other people won't note the difference other than maybe catching an odd smell they can't quite place. And it doesn't hurt anyone. Daddy told me it's just curious. Wants to see others live and ways of being. The only danger comes from being discovered as false. Which is why you can't be around when it is. Licking her lips, she went on. He said that it's a trickster of sorts, though not a mean one. But it enjoys being clever and fooling others, and will get angry if it gets caught. So you leave, let it have its fun, and on the second morning, you'll have your boy back like he was never gone. She raised her finger. That's the best part of it, in a way. All that suffering from last year, you can take that from your wife, your little girl... It'll be like it never happened. And if you choose to use the clutch, it can be the same for you. Bethany held out her hand, palm up, and fingers curled. The clutch is a small sack, made from some kind of strange skin and drawn tight with a thin chain that I think might beat silver. In the sack, there are always two eggs— Always meaning that as soon as you take one or both out, there are eggs back inside just like they were never taken. There are always two. The first egg must be planted in the soil of your home on the day you return to it and see your loved one restored. This finishes your bargain and shows thanks for what the jackdaw has done. The other egg can be used or not. If you choose to get the same forgetfulness of the past pain that your wife and child will have, you just eat the other egg. In a matter of hours, you won't remember anything about your son ever dying. She shrugged. Never ate my second egg. Hurts to keep those memories, sure, but like I said, I think the pain is meant to be there. And it made me appreciate my life. My Jack, more to know that I lost him for a time. Bethany flapped her hand, but that's not to say you should do the same. That's your choice. All of this is. Her hand was still between us, an open invitation now. I know you have no way of knowing that this will work, or if it does work out well. I could ask you to trust me that you'll get your Bobby back whole, but it's not for me to convince you, even if I could. You have to choose it. She moved her hand toward me in offering. Do you? I took the offered hand like a man on the verge of drowning, which maybe wasn't far from the truth. When I said yes, my voice was steady and sure. On the third day, I crept back into my house, a few minutes after the sun was full in the sky. The downstairs was still, the only sound my pounding heart as I crept upstairs. I went first to my own bedroom, peering in on where Amy slept alone in our bed. A wave of disgust at the thought of her sharing it with that thing the last two nights swept through me, but I fought it down. It'd be worth it if it had worked. I moved past Julie's door to Bobby's, and even before I pushed it open, I could hear him softly snoring inside. I stood there for nearly half an hour, just watching him sleep and silently weeping. When I noticed the sounds of Julie waking up, I crept back to my room and slid into bed. Amy stirred, slightly turning to bury her head in my chest as I pulled her close. In spite of everything, I soon fell into an exhausted and dreamless sleep. I woke to the sounds of my family laughing. They were in the living room playing some kind of racing game, Bobby and Amy shoving each other off the road as they raced to the finish. They smiled at me when I came in before going back to their fierce competition, and I had to fight from gathering them all up and holding them tight. But there'd be a time for that, and I didn't want to disturb them or seem strange. It was enough to see them together and happy, and besides, I had work to do. Slipping outside, I went to my trunk and pulled out the small black sack Bethany had called the clutch, and the calling stone from beneath the spare tire as well. I figured out what to do with them permanently later on, but for now, I just needed an egg for burying. When I tugged at the silver chain securing the pouch, a puff of air came out, filling my nostrils with a smell that reminded me a bit of ash in a cold fireplace. Sniffing, I peered in, trying to see the inside, and failing. Turning it toward the sunlight, I glimpsed two small speckled eggs against it in the midnight lining of the bag. It only took a garden spade and a few minutes of soft digging to bury the egg. I still hadn't decided if I wanted to eat the second one, though, as Bethany had said, there were already two eggs back where one had been lost. There really was always two. This was all so strange and magical, but it was wonderful, too. More wonderful than I thought this world was capable of. And maybe Beth was right. I might appreciate this all more if I remembered what I had to... jumped as my phone buzzed in my pocket. Looking down, I felt a moment of confusion when I saw it was a text from Amy. Didn't she know I'd just gone outside? And then I started to read. Stephen, Jeff told me not to say anything, to just leave for a couple of days and let this thing work its magic, but I couldn't sleep last night. I believe my brother that it will work, but I'm still terrified. Leaving you and Julie with that thing, this will not make sense to you, but you need to trust me. Do not mention this text to me. Do not act weird. Please. This is very important. Telling you may be a mistake, but I'm scared of what might happen if I don't, so just watch me today and tonight. Watch me close until sunrise tomorrow, and don't trust me until then. I'll explain everything after that, or if it works like I think it might, maybe I won't have to. Just trust me now and act normal, but keep an eye on me and don't leave me alone with Julie. I love you so much. I read it again as blood began to thunder in my ears. What was she talking about? It sounded like what I'd done, but how and who did she mean? Amy doesn't have a brother. I ran to the front door, forcing myself to slow down as I went through it. I had to stay calm get in and get Julie and Bobby away before that thing realized and then I turned as I saw Amy coming up to me a smile on her face I tried to smile back but I couldn't hide the fear in my eyes her own eyes narrowed as the smile fell from her face the expression running like putty as her gaze grew sharp and grey I had a moment to think of what to do or say to fool it or to placate it to tell it that I still thought it was Amy, to reassure it, how clever it was. But then it began a call, and the thunder of that sound broke the world.